Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. The Golden Stallion here for you for another great episode of Sovereign Tech on location. And you know, I had a listener email, uh, well, what essentially added up to being a listener email, asking me, hey, when you say you're on location, does that mean that you're in your house in the nude? Uh, Well, I'll leave that up to my listener's imagination there. There's one listener email I I didn't answer. Uh, Anyway. Uh, wow, we got a, got a lot to go through today. Great, really a great show lined up. Of course, I always say that, but I like to think it's always true. And, uh, the listener count just keeps on growing. So I'm going to assume that it is true. How about that? Uh, anyway, you know, just want to put it out there that of course, uh, you, you know, the show, if you want to donate to the show, we do, uh, you know, you can donate various cryptocurrencies. In fact, if you really, if you want to donate like a cryptocurrency that I don't have listed, go ahead, send me an email. Uh, and I am more than, more than willing to, you know, work that out maybe. Um, but you know, proto shares, bitcoins, Litecoins, all that's the addresses are in the show notes. Also, if you go to sovereigntech.com and you look in the top left, uh, you will see the, the QR codes that you can make larger. You can click on the picture and it'll make the QR codes large enough to where they can be scanned. So please check that out. Of course, the other way you can help is by, uh, you know, following the show on Twitter or, you know, following the show on SoundCloud, uh, both of which you can make pretty anonymous accounts on. So if you're concerned about that, you know, I, I think it's easy enough to work out something, um, you know, to, to where you especially like if you already use Facebook, you can just log into it with Facebook or, or something, you know, uh, your, your choice. But anyway, those are those are all the ways that you can help out the show. Uh, so we got that out of the way. Um, I also want Wanted to mention, of course, there is if you also at sovereigntech.com. If you look at the bottom left instead of the top left, uh, you'll see there there's a you know a little there's links at the bottom left. Then one of them is go to Passport to Freedom. Uh, I had mentioned that I would be going to this uh, to Passport to Freedom, and it's uh, January 23rd to the 26th in 2014 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, but I may not actually be going. So now it's up in the air again. Um, but I just, you know, I want you to know, but, uh, but, you know, still looks like a great event going to be Peter shift, uh, there, uh, there's going to be quite a, actually the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy may be making an appearance there. Uh, so you, you know, a lot of, a lot of great, great speakers lined up for this event. Uh, it's being described as an intimate event and, uh, you know, take that in the business world for what that means. Uh, <laughs> so you can check that out, but I just, you know, full disclosure, there's a chance I will not be there. Um, but let's get into the rapid fire stories. And then I have somewhat of a special kind of event that I want to talk about. And of course, we have a main story if we get to it. Uh, with the rapid fire stories, uh, the UN, the United Nations, okay, has has apparently come out and said that internet, or at least certain members of it have come out uh, and said that the internet, that internet privacy is just as important as human rights. And, you know, whatever the UN says, you can take your, you know, take it with a grain of salt, I imagine. Um, But 
at the same time, like at least there is the statements getting, you know, made out there to the masses, uh, you know, that, hey, Internet privacy is important. And, you know, it's an accurate statement uh, because Internet privacy is part of what allows a lot of people to escape tyrannical regimes, uh, you know, and get to other countries. Maybe you feel the United States is a tyrannical regime and you want to go to pass the Passport to Freedom Conference to find out how you can escape that. Uh, or you can look online, uh, you know, uh, really the Internet. I, I mean, this is this is pretty obvious, but the Internet has just set so many people free. And so at least it's good that the rhetoric is out there, that the Internet is very important uh, and that Internet privacy is just as important as any other human right that's out there. Uh, of course, you know, again, we can talk about what some of the U.N. considers human rights. Uh, some of those are a pretty bad joke. And of course, I don't necessarily believe in the idea of rights in the first place, even though sometimes I will use the term uh, just for, you know, it, it, its popular context. But anyway, so we have that. And then in uh, in. <laughs> In government recognizing, unfortunately, or not recognizing other things, um, a federal judge has come out and said that, uh, you know, the, the NSA's mass phone surveillance and spying uh, is perfectly legal as to where I believe it was one in Utah said that, hey, this this stuff's un unconstitutional. Um, but we do have, now we have a federal, you know, a, a federal uh, court judge saying that. No, it, it's fine. Now, this is just one case. Uh, this is ACLU versus Clapper. There's still two more cases being brought against the NSA, uh, you know, for their for their mass surveillance that they're that they're doing. Uh, there's still first Unitarian versus NSA and Jewel versus NSA, which those have yet to be heard, uh, you know, and gone through. So when that happens, you know, maybe there'll be different answers. We've got three here. You know, will two to one be enough? Uh, does it really matter? No, of course it doesn't matter. It uh, doesn't matter at all because these people are going to do what they want, you know, legally or not. They don't they really they, they don't care. And if they can't do it by law, uh, you know, they, they have other means of coercion, which brings me. Speaking of, of coercion, perhaps even lethal coercion, which brings me to the first thing I wanted to talk about, uh, really wanted to talk about today, which is uh, Aaron Schwartz. Um, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of people are, you know, the Edward Snowden and rightfully so is getting a lot of press, a lot of attention, um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of, a lot of great organizations, publications, a whole are giving him, you know, person of the year granted time magazine didn't, and they should have. Um, but a, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people are giving Edward Snowden, you know, the, the, the highest marks for, you know, again, person of the year of some kind. And so I want to start a trend and I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how exactly this will take form outside of me just verbally saying this, you know, and verbally awarding it. Um, I might, you know, email the family of the person if they're deceased, um, or, you know, email the, somehow get in touch with the person and just maybe, you know, send them like a PDF or something that they could print out if they're that interested, uh, you know, some of these people just don't need another piece of uh, luggage to go along with them. Uh, but I want to, I think it's important that, you know, I think there's a lot of names that get lost in the shuffle. Names of heroes, especially in the hacker world, because there's just always so much going on, you know, and the news is not 
bringing light and attention to a lot of really great hackers out there or a lot of, you know, really great activists out there. Uh, and so I think it's very, very important, you know, that, that a light gets shined on the people who perhaps uh, who, you know, normally wouldn't get that light shined on them, normally wouldn't get uh, awarded or recognized for what they've done. Um, I know uh, Daryl Daryl Perry at FPP.cc, I think he does kind of something similar uh, where he, I mean, he's given an award, kind of a person of the year award to some degree. It has a different name, but anyway, to like Ian Freeman, all of which I think is, you know, fantastic. If things are deserved, that's certainly well-deserved. Um, but I think, you know, that, that Edward Snowden, I think Aaron Swartz has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle and, and I'm not taking anything away from Snowden, uh, but I don't want anything taken away from Aaron Swartz either, because here's a person who just as Snowden did literally put it all on the line. And unfortunately he put so much on the line that he ended his life. Uh, and that, and that, and that's a, that, that's, that's a, that's a real tragedy. Um, and if you're not familiar with the Aaron Swartz story, maybe you're a new listener. There are episodes in the, in the past, um, where I, you know, I, I talked about it quite a bit and I, you know, read some really, really great, uh, write-ups that, that others had done about him. So, but in, 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 uh, January of, uh, 2013, uh, he, he did end his life. Um, and he was, I mean, this, this was just a genius. Uh, I mean, what, what this person not, I mean, he's not getting this award cause he ended his life. Okay. He deserves an award for, you know, person of the century for, I mean, coming up with quite frankly, for coming up with like RSS at, at 14, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but then, you know, he wanted information to be free which is what a lot of hackers always are always working towards. And he put his money where his mouth was. Um, I mean, he's one of the guys that, that helped create Reddit, uh, which is one of the biggest websites, you know, in, in the world it's and it's integral. Reddit is absolutely integral to Bitcoin. I think in many ways it's integral to Liberty. Uh, in fact, actually free talk live uses Reddit as part of its, you know, uh, listener interaction system. Uh, it's integrated into the, into freetalklive.com. So very, very important stuff, uh, all the way around that Aaron Schwartz did and, and just, a, just a phenomenal human being who ended his life on January 11th of this year of 2013 at the age of 26. And, you know, we, we, it, these things have to be kept, kept in, in context because now I'm making the claim, okay, that the government, you know, essentially threatening because, you know, if, if you don't know the story, like I say, please look it up, uh, you know, and read more of the details about it. But he was essentially, you know, he, people got mad at him because he was freeing up information like, uh, you know, legal information, um, uh, you know, that that like law, you know, pertinent to lawyers, things of that nature, all, all kinds of stuff. He was freeing up. He was laying down his own money to get it out there. Uh, and felt that he was kind of like scheming the system through a degree of fair use, uh, scheming in a very positive way. <laughs> and, uh, he was getting slapped with, you know, 30, 40 years in jail, probably would have ended up just being a lifetime sentence, you know, whether in, in reality in literal reality or not. And he couldn't deal with it. You know, this wasn't a person who, who necessarily like, I mean, you know, he still had some degree of his money behind him. Uh, 
Um, but I, you know, I, yes, I blame the government for the death of this man. I blame the United States government. I blame governments all around the world. Nobody stood up for this guy. Yeah. I mean, some org, some private organizations did, but you know, I'm glad there's, 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 there's countries that are considering taking Snowden in, but that that's being, you know, that's like pulling teeth, you know, getting, getting Snowden somewhere where he can stay. Uh, same with Julian Assange. Uh, and, and I can't help but be reminded of, uh, you know, because this isn't, is this the first time that an incredible mind, especially in the computer world or in the hacking world, people that have contributed greatly to society, you know, technologically have been killed by the coercion of the government? No. No, this happened in 1954. Remember Alan Turing? Alan Turing is the guy that created the Turing machine, the guy that essentially, I mean, really the father of computer science. This is the guy that figured out, you know, the relationship of software and hardware before there was pretty much such a thing as software. He was gay in Britain in the 40s and the 50s. Okay, this guy was a war hero for whatever that means. And I mean, I could get into that, but, you know, this is the guy that helped crack the German code Enigma which I'm not, I'm not laying that out as the great thing that he did because you, you know, when, when not a lot of people know the story, not a lot of people want to believe it and they want to lay out like alternative facts saying that this isn't how it went down, but I'm, I'm, I very much believe this is how it happened. But you know, there, there was in, in, I think it was November 1940, something like that, where, uh, the, the, the city of Coventry in Britain was bombed by the, by the Nazis. You know, no one knows the exact numbers of how many people dies. It goes from the hundreds to the thousands, you know, at least quite a few thousand homes were leveled. Um, but Turing had cracked Enigma by this time. And they knew. You know, Winston Churchill, the British government, they knew that an attack was coming. And they didn't tell anybody in Coventry that that attack was coming. And he let them die. So I'm not necessarily going to give Turing, you know, a a hero's medal on on that. And people can say, oh, well, you know, just think how many millions could have died if they, if you know, if they didn't keep Enigma a secret because they kept it a secret. That way, the Germans didn't know, so this, you know that that they had cracked it, so that they could keep their supply lines from, uh, you know, from from getting attacked. Which, boy, you know, <laughs> yeah, don't let those supply lines go anywhere, uh, you know. But go ahead and let people die. It's a pretty twisted story in history. Uh, and like I say, there's people who don't necessarily believe it, but, you know, Churchill visited uh, Coventry. Winston Churchill visited Coventry after the bombing and there's pictures and, you know, there's, there's truth in the statement that, that, that pictures, you know, are worth a thousand words. And I think you can, you can look in that guy's eyes in those pictures. And I think you can see that he knew and that he let it happen. Maybe he thought he was doing the right thing. I disagree. 
Uh, but anyway, that's that's besides the point where definitely where the British government did not do the right thing was with Alan Turing, where because he was gay in the 50s and being gay back then wasn't good. OK, that was actually illegal. He I mean, you know, it killed him. He didn't want to go to jail and his, you know, so, so he, he went through, through another process that, that, that almost literally destroyed his brain. Uh, and, and he, and just like Aaron Swartz, he ended his life. Yeah. I, what, you know, what do you say to that? How dare they? Right? How dare they harm these people, coerce these people, tell these people they're doing something wrong when no one's getting hurt. No one was getting hurt with by, because Alan Turing was gay. No one was getting hurt because Aaron Schwartz was freeing up information that should have been free in the first place. He should have been left the fuck alone. Heroes of our modern age that no one really talks about enough. So the sovereign tech, I'm going to call it the, the person of excellence, the sovereign tech person of excellence, 2013 goes to Aaron Swartz and is well-deserved. Very, very well-deserved. Uh, you know, and, and, and fortunately, you know, people have taken up the cause and people are giving some degree of press. So the EFF, the electronic frontier foundation, uh, fantastic organization. One of the few organizations in the world that actually like, you know, tries to do legal and political stuff, uh, where I, I actually support them because they just get out so much great information and they, they develop so much great stuff, uh, you know, for, for really human freedom and, 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 you know, privacy and, and, and whichever else, um, you know, absolute credit to them. Uh, but they, they have been uh, very good in laying out, you know, in reminding people that, Hey, you know, Aaron, we lost one of the best this year, you know, in 2013. Uh, so you, you can go to EFF.org and you can read up. That's another great place to read up more on Aaron Swartz. But yeah, I mean, it just, it, it makes me think, I mean, how many, <laughs> How many, how many more people have to have to die for, for this, for this nonsense, you know, be it social conservatism or be it intellectual property or, you know, whatever, just this, this control for the, the, the idea that, 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 that people, people control. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and it's amazing because they're, they're, it blows my mind that there's actually people out there that think that Aaron Swartz was a bad guy. That that he was doing something really, really wrong, you know, and and I mean, there there's you know, there were there were news news coverage where people were kind of being asked about it. And they're like, yeah, let, you know, well, the little shit was was messing around. What? <laughs> the little shit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I want to, I'm, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. Either way, thank you, Aaron Swartz, you know, f- for, for all that you did, uh, you know, for, for the, the, you know, as a genuine hacker, 
for the you know the the, the freedom of uh, you know of information you know that 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 you tried you know the information you tried to unleash for all of us to be able to benefit from and for developing some really really integral uh, you know t- technologies that that have definitely helped people, you know, gather information and communicate and connect with each other. Uh, so thank, thank you so much for that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't even really want to get into the, the lead story. I don't, I don't feel that we have, uh, have enough time to really get into it, but I'll talk about it anyway. And it's essentially that, you know, it's, it's an update really. So, so we'll just treat it that way. Um, it's an update on the fact that, you know, I gave a, a few weeks back, maybe it was a few months ago on the show, I gave credit to Amazon for, there was, there was a big story going around. A lot, a lot of blogs were, 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 you know, trying to, we're getting it out there because it made for great clickbait, uh, about how a woman was writing dinosaur erotica. And what this was, was literally dinosaurs fucking human women, um, you know, in a story. And, you know, I gave and I, and I mean, I'm not necessarily into that, but I gave I gave Amazon credit for letting that be. And in fact, I even gave them credit for, uh, you know, there, there's a there's a lot of really crazy anti-Semitic uh, and like just conspiratorial, you know, live. I mean, just just crazy stuff that that's on Amazon that you can buy as books, you know, in the Kindle store. But again, I want just as Aaron Schwartz did, you know, I want information to be free and not censored, uh, and out there. And that includes even, you know, the sick shit, quite frankly. Um, you know, or at least I don't want any laws against it, you know? And, uh, apparently there's, there's kind of been a, an about face, um, with, uh, with, with Amazon's policies where groups have petitioned against there, there's in particular, there's these Bigfoot stories, a Bigfoot erotica where, where Bigfoot, you know, Sasquatch is mating with human women. And, and I mean, maybe there's a degree of rape in there or whichever. And, uh, I mean, all, all kind, you know, come to find out that, that really like the dinosaur erotica, even though, you know, a lot of people would consider that to be crazy. There was significantly crazier, <laughs> and there's a link in the show notes and you can read it. It's actually a very long story. I wasn't going to read all of it anyway. Um, and, and I think this is good. This is actually, this is good to talk about right now. And I'm glad, I'm glad I'm, I'm going ahead and bringing it up, uh, because, you know, Amazon was actually letting it stay up. Okay. Amazon wasn't, you know, they weren't policing the Kindle store. Uh, not, not very well. Now they have policed the Kindle store with some degree of copyright uh, problems. Of course, in the past where like they deleted 1984 and, uh, you know, and, 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 um, animal farm, George Orwell's classics, you know, from the Kindle store because there was a copyright conflict, but they weren't policing what, what's getting put up there. And, and, and I, you know, kudos to them for that. But here's what happened is, is that groups, probably Christian groups or religious groups of some type were complaining about these stories existing up there. Now, these things aren't aren't searchable, okay? So you'd really have to be looking for them to find them. It's not like this stuff's going to show up in your face when you go to Amazon.com. And here's my concern, is that as controlling as the government can be, here's what happens when you let mobs run things. Mobs of people, not mafia. 
Again, there was no laws. Amazon was letting it slide, but they gave in to pressure. And I think that's a conversation that has to be had. What do you think? Send me an email. SovereignTechAriseUp.net. I'll be back with more. third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launched. Return fire. Freedom! Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, where I cover stories that get sent uh, to Sovereign Tech through the various uh, channels available, SovereignTech at RiseUp.net. Um, also, uh, you know, on Twitter, you can send me the stories. Uh, you can even, I imagine, you, you know, we could work it out because like SoundCloud has a messaging system, which SovereignTech.com is the SoundCloud page, which has everything that I want on it. Though I have been recently debating about creating another website, something a little more serious and perhaps where I can showcase so that they do not get forgotten where I can showcase, uh, you know, the, the, the new award that I've, that I've made, which is the sovereign tech persons of excellence, uh, you know, which of course for 2013 has gone to Aaron Swartz. Um, and, and so I thought about that. So maybe then, you know, you can get stuff to me even easier. Uh, but anyway, you know, these stories get sent to me. I really appreciate it that you bring them on. It's the stuff you want to talk about. So it's the way that you get to interact with the show and it's a way that you kind of get to control the content. Okay. Sovereign Tech, you know, I mean, I, I have, there's multiple sections because, you know, I'm such a fan. I'm, I'm such a, a dilettante in the podcast and radio uh, of, of podcasts and radio shows uh, that I, I, you know, admittedly, like I did, I did the Star Wars trick. I did the George Lucas where I took an amalgamation of all these great ideas and, you know, and tried to, you know, and, and put them, like I said, made an amalgamation, put them all together. Uh, and so this is the area kind of where, you know, you can't call in and control the show, but you can tell me the stories you want to talk about, uh, you know, and, and in that case, you know, that that's definitely a trick I picked up from Free Talk Live. Um, and so this story, this is, this is pretty important and we're going to talk more about this sort of thing in the listener email section this week. Uh, but this, this is something, maybe this is the legacy of, of, you know, of, of these hackers dying or these hackers getting incarcerated, um, you know, or, or of other things, you know, or of just this post prism world that we live in. Uh, this story may be a response to that to some degree. If anything, it's a re- certainly a response to perhaps that mob control, that mob rule, or to the control that the government has. Uh, but let, let's read the story. And it's from the Wall Street Journal. And it's, do we want an erasable Internet? This is going to sound silly, but I think Snapchat was the most important technology of 2013. It sounds silly because Snapchat is just an app 
What's more, what's more, it's an app used primarily by teens and college students. And wasn't I telling you just a few weeks ago that young people aren't good predictors of tech success? Of course, that's arguable. Uh, then there's the question of whether Snapchat is useful at all. Snapchat sends uh, so-called eph ephemeral messages, uh, photos, and captions that disappear in a few seconds after the recipients open them. Uh, Self-destructing photos sound like a recipe for mischief. When people first hear about Snapchat, they likely picture acts of a certain disgraced former congressman. Uh, these are all good points. It's true that we don't know much about how and why people are using Snapchat, and I'm not sure its popularity with teens will translate into broader long-term success. Uh, Snapchat, like all new services, is still more likely to fail than prosper. Yet, even if it fails, Snapchat will have been one of the most fascinating services to hit the Internet in years. To me, the app's exploding popularity suggests that society is yearning for a new way to think about data. Snapchat is one of the first mainstream services to show us that our photos and texts don't need to stick around forever, that erasing all the digital effluvia generated by our phones and computers can be just as popular a concept as saving it. That's wow. That is an interesting point. Uh, anyway, if the Snapchat model takes off, if other sites and services began to promote the idea of erasability as a competitive feature, the Internet would look very different from the Internet of today. It would be more a private network, one without the constant worry of every ill-considered picture or thought being held up for ridicule by the whole world forever. But it also might be le a less useful Internet, a network on which you couldn't Look up an old photo every time you felt nostalgic or where computers wouldn't always feed you suggestions based on your history since your history wouldn't be complete. Do we want to live on that erasable Internet, the Snapchat Internet, instead of the Internet built by Facebook and Google? That question is exactly why Snapchat is so important, because before Snapchat, the erasable Internet wasn't an option. The forever Internet seemed the only way. Now, with users, investors and engineers rushing to ephemeral uh, data apps created in Snapchat's image, foreverness isn't assumed. Now, I understand Snapchat isn't always ephemeral. Uh, the app can be hacked to save a person's photo before they expire. And it's possible for law enforcement authorities to compel the company to release photos stored in its servers. But crucially, uh, Snapchat automatically deletes photos from its servers after a user has opened them. This is unusual in the tech industry. In Silicon Valley, data is invaluable. It is close to a religious belief that you can never have too much data, and deleting is often an afterthought. Note that the first two years of its life, Google Gmail didn't even have a delete button. The company, yeah, it only had archive, which is the same problem with Hangouts. Uh, anyway, the company believed everyone would want to store all email forever. And it wasn't until 2012 that Facebook figured out how to erase photos from its servers after a user pressed delete. Meanwhile, the entire premise of the field of big data is that the more data you have, the more useful your product becomes because the analysis of lots of user data can itself lead to new insights and features. It's not all hype either. There is a good chance you love some of the many tech products that could only have come about because tech companies saved and analyzed your data. Among these are Google spell checker, translation service, uh, traffic maps and search suggestions, Amazon.com's uh, media and product recommendations and Facebook's personalized newsfeed and friend suggestions. Just for the record, uh, <laughs> none of those mean anything to me. 
um, you know, like like the traffic. Yes, Google Maps works very, very well based upon, uh, you know, the fact that they're using the data, uh, say, from when you play Ingress or just from you walking around and they kind of like, you know, they, they use GPS and, and make a better map out of that. Uh, I would much rather have the voluntary open streets, uh, you know, the OSM data, open street maps. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> um. And yeah, especially or right, real quick, one more thing. Amazon.com's suggestions are terrible. They never suggest like really good books to me or like really rare books. And it's not that the Kindle store doesn't have a lot of great stuff. It does. It has the best selection, in my opinion, and it has some very unique properties. Um, but Amazon does not recommend, has never recommended good things to me. So anyway, that that's pointless too. Um, plus, they're, of course, I'm a hipster. Anyway, plus there's all the data that allows for the targeted advertising that pays for free sites without saving and analyzing our information. It's hard to see how ad based Internet giants could exist. Maybe they shouldn't that, that I added that in uh, yet. The cost of the forever Internet sometimes seems just as towering as the benefits uh, catches of data about you residing out on servers and devices you don't control are a honeypot for the national security agencies, agency hackers, and your uh, aggrieved ex. They can create trouble with potential employers, with college admissions officials, and with strangers who make snap judgments about you based on nothing more than an ill-considered, long-forgotten, out-of-context tweet. In real life, we're used to shifting our personalities from moment to moment and place to place depending on who we are with and how we feel. Online, because everything is saved and searchable, you've got to constantly police yourself to create a single uh, stultifying profile that restricts spontaneous self-expression. Is this really the way we want to live? Personally, I'm okay with these costs. I love that I can go back years in my Gmail archive and read the emails my wife and I sent to one another when we first met. If we'd courted on Snapchat, that record could have been lost. I also look forward to future nostalgia, to logging into Facebook in 2023 and looking back at family photos from Thanksgiving 2013. That's why, despite finding it fascinating, I rarely use Snapchat. Deletion scares me. But I can see how, for others, Snapchat provides a sense of liberation from the constraints of a permanent record. Of course, we might not have to pick. Big Snapchat-like growth could mean that we'll have a forever internet and an er erasable internet living side by side. Some users mainly will choose apps and services that save our data by default, while others will choose instant deletion. A lot will choose both, depending. And that is probably how it should be. No one said the internet had to be forever. This year, Snapchat proved it. Now, it, it, that's that's really interesting. And before you think Snapchat is, you know, something that that's that, you know, wow, this is just a fad and it's going to fade away, uh, you know, a lot of your tech giants would disagree with you. Uh, Facebook offered something like $4 billion, I believe, to buy out uh, uh, Snapchat. And, you know, now a lot of people thought it was done when Facebook bought Instagram, too. But now Instagram is, you know, especially amongst teens, just like Snapchat, Instagram is one of the primary social networks and Facebook is not. Uh, in fact, there's a study that uh, that they recently did in, in Britain where they found out that that you know, kids from like 16 to, you know, 26, uh, of course, you know, being, are they kids at that point? Anyway, the demographics 16 to 26 considers Facebook shameful, like, like they're ashamed to even be involved with it. 
it, it's it's such anathema to them. Um, and so they use things like Twitter, or Snapchat um, or Google Plus or, you know, or Instagram, which, you know, fortunately for Facebook, they own that, too, because it's a very popular one. Um, but anyway, the overarching, you know, idea of this, the idea of an erasable Internet, uh, it's important to bring this up because I think a lot of people feel that this is what, you know, hackers want. They want that erasable Internet. And I'd, and you have to keep in mind the difference between anonymity and privacy. And there's a huge difference there. Um, I think what a lot of hackers are working towards is the anonymity, because clearly people don't necessarily even a lot of, you know, liberty minded people, a lot of libertarians. They don't they really don't want an erasable Internet because they enjoy like with Bitcoin. They like the blockchain, right? They like that ledger which some people are now claiming that's all that Bitcoin really is, is that it's a symbol of your property and the Bitcoin system is really all that matters. And that's what's so valuable is because it's, you know, a ledger uh, system. But anyway, so so there's, there's people who don't want that because, you know, whenever you talk, especially with Bitcoin, whenever you talk about, uh, you know, look, we can get rid of some of the stuff in the ledger. That way, the the blockchain size isn't going to get into the hundreds of gigs, you know, or, or however, you know, <laughs> however many petabytes it's going to get to. Um, I'm, I'm a, you know, being a little exaggerant, but anyway, you know, so so people don't necessarily want an erasable Internet, but they do want an, an anonymous Internet. Um, and of course, you know, the person was absolutely accurate in bringing up the fact that Snapchat, you know, to some degree there, there isn't like this total anonymity or this total erasability because you can, you know, the, the law enforcement governments can ask for stuff from Snapchat servers. And if it's still there, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll fetch it for them. So it's not perfect, but you know, what is the reasons for this? Why is this so interesting to people, this erasable internet? And I, I think where this really comes from, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, they're both a problem, um, doesn't come from the fact of the NSA. I don't think that's that's where this is coming from. There's no doubt about it. And it's been talked about on Cyber Tech before that teenagers, the next generation coming up is very much aware, thankfully, because their parents are blundering. OK, their privacy, their the par- parents today are blundering their children's privacy on the on the Internet. They by and large. Um, even people that that some people consider to be the only good parents in the world um, are blundering their children's privacy. OK, so but teens are very, very aware that I think that that's going on. And I think they're mainly they're not wanting privacy so much because there is the interest in privacy amongst teens. There's pure research and a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, that shows that uh, take that for what it's worth, of course. But I think they're interested in hiding from their parents and hiding from society because they're doing things, you know, that the bulk of society considers bad. They're not interested in hiding from the NSA, you know, or at least that's not the logical conclusion that they're coming to is that, well, in the end, the NSA could see this. I think they're just far more concerned, especially like why is Facebook anathema to, to teenagers? Because, you know, they're like, well, my, my grandparents are on there. I don't want them to see what I'm doing. You know, I don't even want there to be the chance. So, you know, that, that that's the allure of Snapchat, not so much the idea really, I think, of, of, of privacy, but or, not, you know, not the idea of anonymity. OK, it's you know, it is it is the idea that they want actual, you know, actual privacy. So it's two separate things. I think they're two very different goals. Uh, you know, one one that 
I mean, at the same time, sure, there are there are hackers who who would love to have an Internet that, you know, just kind of erases itself itself and, and, you know, stuff stays in the human brain. Uh, And and I'm open to that, too, because, you know, I I, I said it before, but I mean, now, again, I'm not against cameras. okay, and I'm not against photographers. I think they do. They're incredible artists and do incredible work. But I I am. I'm totally I boy. I hate this picture culture (laughs) you know where we're like you know make sure we get a great shot of this moment and not actually live in the moment i i've talked about you know that on the show before um i mean that just drives me absolutely nuts so i'm not really in support of snapchat either because you know that's that's just more of that picture culture uh and instagram is the same thing instagram is you know is the the height of this um you know, of this picture culture where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, like, like people aren't even, you know, there's, (laughs) there's times where where this guy is like proposing to a woman, you know, and he's like holding out his phone (laughs) to take the shot, you know, of, of, of her reaction. And of course, you know, I mean, like a woman's reaction when she asks, when she's, you know, gets asked to get married is so programmed in the first place. So the whole thing's fake. It's just showing an entirely fake society. And Instagram is just promoting that. Um, you know, Snapchat, at least I think to some degree, I'll give this, I'll give Snapchat a little more credit where maybe because of its privacy nature is, uh, and boy, don't rely on that, but it's there. The privacy nature is allowing for people to kind of get their freak on with a little more confidence. And so, you know, obviously I support that. Uh, so I think that's a great thing. So now if that's what people want, if that's what people need to get us to the point to where people aren't ashamed of things that perhaps Snapchat would get used for. And it's important to point out, too, that Snapchat, you know, this idea that it's mainly used for sexting. Uh, apparently, there's a lot of data that says, no, it's not. Um, but, you know, it, it. why would I use Snapchat? Yeah, probably for sexting. <laughs> I don't use Snapchat, but if, if I did, um, you know, I'm sure that's why I would, I would come up with it. I mean, that's half the reason I liked using text, you know, is so that, uh, under the prying eyes of society, you know, you could hide away and, and, and send sexy messages to people or whatever. Uh, so <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, I, if it's, if these kind of, you know, if the erasable internet is there so that people can feel confident, uh, you know, and, and be more expressive with how they really are inside, then yes, I support the idea of having an erasable internet. Um, you know, and I, and again, the features that they listed off for why you don't want an erasable internet, I have no interest in that, that, that just doesn't like, you know, tailored ads. I don't care. Fine. I'll, I mean, I already pay for sovereign tech to be out there. So for my opinion to be out there, I already pay for something. Uh, I'll pay for the services just like we did in, in the, in the nineties, you know, where you were like, unless it was geo cities, you had to pay, which of course that was ad funded. Uh, you had to pay, you know, to have a website up. Good, fine. You know, let's, let's, let's go back to that. That way we don't have to deal with all these ads that are meaningless. Um, but anyway, uh, sorry. I'm, I, this is this is so big. I'm, I'm all over the place with this. The one point I want to get out before the segment ends, the point I want I really want to make is that he raises the interesting thing is that I want to see what I'm posting, what I posted in 2013, 10 years from now, in January 2023. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I wonder how that's going to affect, you know, the human condition when people are going to see, you know, like, like 
mean, how are 80-year-olds going to do on Facebook? Yes, probably Facebook won't exist when these people turn 80. But, but I think that's something to think about. How are you going to react to that? Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. The other day I was surfing the web when I bumped into an article on lifescript.com titled 14 Embarrassing Sex Questions. Well, here are four of the questions from this website that seems to be for women who might have too much time on their hands. Naturally, my own answers to these questions are a little different than those given on LifeScript. Here's question number two. Is it normal to pass gas during orgasm? Well, for this, they actually had to consult with a gynecologist. You'd think they would have known that women never pass gas, ever. However, the idea of Beano for lovers did pass my mind. Question number five. Can certain exercises really lead to better sex? Hmm, squats, maybe? Or what about push-ups if you're doing them on top of your partner? Question six, is cybersex really cheating? Well, when I was young, the most profound questions you could ask were, what's the meaning of life and is there a God? But now that the internet is dominating our lives, it seems our most profound questions are about cybersex and pornography. And finally, question number 10, can anal sex give me hemorrhoids? Well, this would change the excuse from, not tonight, honey, I have a headache, to, not tonight, dear. I have a hemorrhoid. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, where I cover software that generally I consider useful. Sometimes I cover a piece of software that's really, you know, atrocious. And I got to admit, Google Hangouts is actually getting better. I did start using it again because some people said, oh, so many new features, give it a shot. And uh, and it is it is working a little bit better, and I can actually sync my Google Voice text messages with it, uh, which, you know, that that's a really nice feature. So anyway, maybe you want to give Hangouts a second look just like I did. Still not giving it, like, TechSecure is still the king of text messaging apps. So I'm not going to give that to Hangouts. But anyway, speaking of messaging on the most popular messaging platform on the planet still no doubt about it as much as various teenagers may hate it and good for them. Uh, cause I hate it too. <laughs> I use it under duress, <laughs> the duress of, uh, uh, of ostracism, I suppose. Uh, no. Um, but Facebook now, Facebook messenger, I think that's really like, that may be a lot of people have theorized that, that, you know, we were just talking about what's Facebook going to look like in 2023. Um, and a lot of people have theorized that Facebook has become an address book, you know, and maybe that's all it will ever be in the future is that, you know, is, is an address book. Uh, because boy, yeah, I mean, the more JavaScript they add on that website, what a Facebook is such a joke. Uh, so anyway, but if you want to make Facebook a little bit better, speaking of the JavaScript that's on there. The, the the software this week is actually it's an extension for Chrome called Facebook Chat Pro. And what this does, you install it. It's in the Chrome store link, uh, you know, but actually I'll link you to the main website so you can see what it looks like in the show notes. And it allows you uh, to see whether or not 
you know, like when you when you're when you're messaging people on Facebook. OK, again, you know, a lot of people say that Facebook has become this glorified messenger system. You know, even I may use it for that, even though I, I I'm sadly I'm so terrible at getting to back to my Facebook messengers much better with email. But I'm terrible with getting back to Facebook messages. Anyway, uh, there is the option of this is something they added in. I think it was last year where it says seen. Where and this is really annoying. I hated this. I've complained about this quite a bit. Uh, where where the Facebook Messenger will will let you know when someone has seen what you typed out to them, what you sent to them. And there's other apps that have done this in the past, but some of them have gone by the wayside, and so they've been replaced. And this one actually does quite a bit more. And Facebook Chat Pro is planning on adding in a lot more, a lot more features in the future. So you know, giving it a shot, and it's free for now. Uh, giving it a shot is, you know, I think it's a worth worthy thing. And so you can keep people from seeing whether or not you've seen what they sent you. Okay, so that's handy. Uh, also, this is this is a new one that this has been the first app I know of that could do this, where it can actually prevent people from see when you're typing, because what it'll say is, uh, especially like if you're in a group chat, it'll say, you know, Brian Sovereign is typing. Um, it'll eliminate that from showing up. So you can type with a degree of anonymity. You know, all these things may be important to you. Also, it allows for desktop notifications, which is a popular thing, especially on Chromebooks, uh, to where notifications can show up, um, you, you know, off to off to the side when when someone's saying something, sending a message to you. That way you don't have to be looking at Facebook.com or you don't have to keep looking for that number one or number two or number 30, you know, notification numbers that show up in the tab or something. This is really handy where it it shows up, you know, just on the side of the screen, just like, uh, you know, Hangouts does or, you know, Google Voice text messages do whatever. Uh, also, there is a typewriter mode, which you know, it puts in new sounds, like lets you, makes it sound like it's kind of a typewriter that you're working on or like it does a ching, you know, all those kind of, you know, classic sounds. So if you're looking for kind of a hipster nostalgic feel, it allows for that too. And, uh, you know, again, it's going to be, you know, they're going to add in more features. I'm not exactly sure what other features, you know, to think of that, that could be added in, but admittedly, I hadn't thought of the idea of blocking, you know, where it says you're typing. But I think that's great. What a, what a what an awesome you know little little anonymity feature to to add in, um, and you know this is an important area to look at because again you know I mean I don't really and, I, and I'm trying to post a lot less on Facebook because I'm just not interested and it's really in a lot of ways Facebook is a pretty toxic environment, uh, <laughs> so you know so but I you know I understand it's important as a, importance as a messenger unfortunately you know there's some people that I don't have any other contact information for them um so you know I, I to some degree I have to keep facebook and so but if I'm going to keep it I want it to work as best as it can for me uh and this is one of the ways to do it so it's facebook chat pro uh and this is kind of the, it's one of the newer things uh they just updated it I think for for 2014 so it's out there because, you know, stuff like Social Fixer and there's a few at like Chat Undetected. A lot of those don't work anymore. So this is something we got to keep updated on. But uh, anyway, I'll be back with more. This is Brian Sovereign and you're listening to Sovereign Tech. tired of people wasting away all their precious time then stop using the same social media as them google plus is a centralized hub for all of your google services your ideas and your passions 
Google Plus has a much more international user base, as to where other forms of social media center around so-called developed nations that really don't do anything exciting in the first place. Google Plus has almost no spam and has very few cat pictures, pictures of police, or anything else government-related. Stop using Facebook. You have an alternative. Start using Google Plus today. It is time for listener emails, where I cover you know questions that get sent to me uh, in various fat forms on actually Google Plus, uh, which you just heard about. You can contact me on there. Uh, boy, let me tell you real quick that now that is a service that like I have to use. Um, Google Plus has just gotten so ubiquitous and like just forced on people, and I'm and I I don't like that by the way. Um, I agree. Okay. As far as feature rich, Google plus has the most features and perhaps it's designs gotten a little more intuitive. Um, you know, it's still a bit clunky, but, but it has gotten more intuitive. Um, but Google plus is definitely one of those services that just look, I, I, you know, I'm forced to have it to do a lot of other things that I do. Um, you know, mainly, I mean, one of the main things of course being, uh, you know, the, playing video games, you know, with the, you know, the game, uh, the Google play game app, you know, requires you to have a Google plus. It doesn't work without it. It doesn't work with just a Google account. So that's one of the main reasons that I, that I, that I have a Google plus account. Uh, other reasons, you know, I mean, there's alternatives to photo storage, like there's Amazon cloud storage and all that. Not to say Amazon's worthy of trusting more than, uh, than Google, but anyway, um, you know, there's other ways to get in touch with me, sovereign tech at rise up.net. Uh, also you can get in touch with me through Twitter and you are welcome to direct message me there. Uh, sometimes, you know, even if, if we're Facebook friends, you know, you can kind of send something to me on that as well. Um, but you know, and one other, I wanted to add this in, um, in the show notes, you're going to see, okay. At the bottom of the show notes, you're going to see a bunch of just, you know, random characters, and what that is, you know, I mean, it'll tell you there's instructions there, but just, just so you know what it is, it's actually, that's my, that's my GPG slash PGP key, uh, for Brian at freetalklive.com. Um, I do not have PGP set up for, for my rise up account, uh, for various reasons, all of them good reasons. Um, but Brian at freetalklive.com, if you have something where you really want to communicate that way, um, you can use that key, but also. Okay, if you want to, you know, talk to me encrypted, um, that is the same key for CryptoKit. So you can find me on CryptoKit, and that would be the key to use. Uh, so you know that that's that's an option too. Um, you know, just just putting that out there. I love CryptoKit. Uh, if you missed it, there was a special that came out. Uh, you know, in in celebration of Sol Invicti, uh, or some people call it Christmas, I guess. Uh, in celebration of that. Uh, there was a special where I had Anthony DiOrio on, which was fantastic. Just, I love that guy. Great guy. Uh, and we had so much to talk about. Um, but he is, you know, he's one of the partners and founders of CryptoKit. And I mean, it's one of the most exciting. It's a Chrome extension, if you don't know. Uh, but it's it's hands down just one of the most exciting little pieces of software. Not little, by any means. Uh, little in, in execution and in beauty, you know, but... but uh, but not, you know, it's, it's little as in lightweight, okay? 
Uh, but I love CryptoKit. So, you know, check that out. I think that that may that may become may need to be the, the new standard uh, in communications. Uh, I like it way better than BitMessage anyway. Um, so anyway, feel free to contact me with with questions through any of those means. Uh, the question I'm going to get to is actually from a couple a few emailers. Uh, one of them was actually uh, the second part of a critique that I received on Google Plus. Uh, which was a critique that I, the first part of it, I answered in the last episode. Actually, I didn't answer it. I let Carl Sagan answer it. Yeah, baby. Uh, but anyway, it's all about the idea of, look, you know, do we need to come up this, the second half of the critique? And then a lot of these emails are, do we need to come up with our own internet? You know, is it time for that? Uh, there, there, there's, there's quite a few, you know, questions within all these questions and I'm going to try and, and address them all. Uh, but they're, they're great questions and yes, is it time for an alternative internet? Yes, absolutely. Of course it is. Uh, the internet is so compromised, uh, you know, that, that, that I, I consider it, you know, definitely something worthy of working on. Uh, in fact, speaking of another special, if you listened to the Keenvention uh, 2013, I was uh, I was hosting a panel at the Keenvention 20, 2013. The video for that hopefully will be out soon. Um, I think Ian Freeman is saving the best for last because he's already released some of the some of them at freekeen.com and uh, at keenvention.info. But anyway, <laughs> um, I actually, one of the very last statements I made, you can find this also as a Sovereign Tech special, but anyway, one of the last comments I made was that, you know, if everybody comes to New Hampshire, we can create our own internet in New Hampshire. So yes, I think this is a good idea to do. Of course I do. And yes, it's an idea that's time has come. Is it something worth putting in a whole ton of effort to achieve on a global scale right now? No, uh, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think, yes, you know, it's good if we can find countries that can be safe havens for data centers, uh, like where the pirate Bay is having such a, such a problem right now where, you know, they, they can't find a domain name, (laughs) you know, a country that'll host their domain without yanking it away. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of these things where, yeah, I mean, really, like, it'd be great. We need to, we need to figure these things out, but on the global scale and for people to be able to learn and for that information to be accessible to the masses who don't know, you know, or who, who haven't, who aren't yet philosophically inclined enough to understand the dangers of governments, uh, and things like that. Uh, we, you know, we've got to have this information out on the normal internet, uh, but we've got to find a way to secure that and to safely transmit it as, as well. Uh, freedom of speech to some degree is kind of out there, but you know, that that's, yeah, that's going away. I mean, there, there's, you know, there, there was a story this week where Google was, has taken down, uh, not, I mean, it's old, it's old hat that Google, we know Google has taken down links to torrents, but now they're taking down by, you know, pressure from governments, they are, they have taken down thousands of search results of politically charged search results. Okay. So, you know, they may end up deleting all this information anyway, or at least they're not deleting it, but they're making it so that people can't find it. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It is time for this sort of stuff. Um, but I think this is an area where battles need to be picked. 
Um, and I think, you know, maybe mesh networking, you know, that that needs to be looked into. Uh, I mean, there's people talking about, you know, like doing I mean, some of the emailers that send me and they're great emails and they had really, really forward thinking ideas um, of where, you know, where to put these like nodes, you know, these these Internet connecting nodes, uh, you know, putting them in the oceans, you know, all sorts of stuff, all great ideas. And I think they're very, very important to do. But I think we need to work on. This is, you know, maybe this is chicken in the egg, but I think we need to work on the usability of these alternative internets if we're going to have them. Okay. I think we, you know, we, this, that's, that's where we need to be concentrating is in making really great software. And there are people developing, developing this out there, but they need beta testers, um, you know, to, to where we're using really great encrypted server software. So, yeah, I think it's important. Now, what's the importance of using Tor? My opinion, incredible importance to using Tor. Uh, is Tor being funded by the government and thus, you know, is compromised by the government? Is it compromised to some degree? Maybe. Maybe. Um, I always tell people, look, when you use Tor, when you're using Tor for business of some kind, you know, be that activism or, you know, an actual business, whatever, uh, I recommend going on to Tor pretending that you are somebody else go ahead you can think you're gandalf the gray i don't care but just don't think you are who you are get that mindset out of your head fast okay become someone else when you use tor in that fashion um so you you know i i think that that's that's a you know that's a wonderful thing and and i think equally in the mainstream internet we need to continue to look into easier ways of implementing encryption technologies that work that, that we know still work like PGP slash GPG, uh, you know, like perfect forward secrecy is a, you know, a pretty good thing to get into, which that, you know, that's, that's something, uh, speaking of using alternatives. Okay. The, one of the places where now Twitter's just as bad as Google, as far as Twitter will under pressure, uh, from governments, they will take down tweets that are political in nature. Um, but Twitter is actually one of the best, sites as far as encryption and as far as anonymity. So that's not something to shy away from, even though they're, and this is my whole point with the internet. Like, yeah, I want to develop these alternatives. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, in the mainstream, these are, there's certain areas where we can stay and need to stay Twitter being one of them. Um, uh, you know, to say that Twitter toppled governments. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, will it ever do that again? Maybe not, you know, maybe now the Twitter, you know, again, since they bow to pressure, who knows? Uh, but Twitter does allow for, I mean, even like on, on, on Android. Um, and I didn't mention this in the dark Android special and I wanted to, but like Twitter allows you to actually, that can automatically be run through Tor. Uh, you just go into the app in the app settings and you can set, you know, you can change the port and an Orbot, which is the, the, the Tor software for Android, uh, will, will allow for, you know, Twitter to, to be accessed through Tor. Really, really great. So, and again, they're doing perfect forward secrecy and all this stuff. You can really be very, and Twitter asks for very little information. You can be very, very anonymous with Twitter. Uh, so that, you know, that's, uh, and, and encrypted. So that, that's a good, uh, you know, a good idea to use because it's such a nice public form and it's public by design. Um, and then, you know, when you want to be encrypted and really hidden, you got, you have PGP and, and PGP slash GPG again, please understand when I say PGP, I, I mean, generally the open source version, which is known as GPG. Uh, that's why I keep saying PGP slash GPG, because I think people get confused. Um, you know, that crypto that's, this is an area where crypto kit was really key because it made PGP so easy. 
like so simple to set up. Uh, and that's so important that needs to be done a whole hell of a lot more. <laughs> okay. So let's, you know, may, maybe this is like, you know, I, I talked about, we, we did that, uh, the Bitcoin, um, the inside Bitcoin conference suck sucked special that I did with, uh, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Um, you know, I mentioned on there where Litecoin is kind of the beta of, <laughs> you know, is, is the beta to, to Bitcoin, um, you know, where you can test out features with Litecoin. You know, may, yeah, maybe maybe we need to use the main, you know, the, the big bad Internet uh, as, you know, as as the beta for a lot of these, you know, new new technologies that that that, you know, activists should develop. So, yeah, I think it's very, very important. Uh, that we start developing, you know, a, a new form of a new form of Internet, um, however that works out. You know, now I don't know if I want us doing like a Project Loon where essentially, you know, Google is, is tossing up balloons and, you know, in diverse places of the planet, uh, you know, and offering Internet there. I mean, maybe that's something we, you know, we need to look into. I don't know. Uh, but it's definitely, definitely worthy of everyone's time, uh, you know, to to look into to look into this stuff. To figure out how we can do it. Uh, there's the idea of dead drops, which I find also intriguing. I know there's a lot of people who are just scared to freaking death of, you know, boy, I'm not putting that because what a dead drop is, if you don't know, a dead drop is like a USB fl uh, flash drive or some kind of drive. Usually that'll get cemented into a wall. OK, so it's a permanent fixture. And you could, you know, effectively walk up to it with a device, computer or whatever. If you have a um, maybe if you have, a, you know, a, a, with like an Android device, you can get the the cables that will convert to your, you know, your, your power slot, the MHCP slot um, to where that works uh, with USB, with a full size USB. And you can connect to, you know, to this flash drive that's literally cemented into a wall. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, that's something to consider, uh, you know, these dead drops. And like I said, I know the concern that, wow, there could be a virus on there. Who knows what could happen? You know, if it's just sitting there for everybody to use, it could get formatted, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's, there's ways to solve that. You know, you, you could make it so that it's, it was like read only. Um, and as far as the, you know, the, the virus problem, uh, use device like, uh, Chromebooks, uh, you know, where, where viruses just don't really matter or, you know, where maybe where Android, where viruses aren't as prevalent. Doesn't mean there aren't viruses with Android, please. Okay. <laughs> there, there most certainly can be. Um, so, you know, th those are, those are things to, to consider. Um, and, you know, actually mentioning the Chromebook, that brings me to an interesting thought as far as like creating all our alternative internets, uh, would be, you know, maybe looking into into devices that could access that Internet that are specifically hardware designed to access such an Internet uh, and have that be kind of, you know, cloud based. Maybe have it be, you know, decentralized to some degree like Bitcoin is, um, but have have these be, you know, have this be a, a cloud based workspace uh, that would that would make it inexpensive to, you know, to be able to communicate with if we were to create, you know, if, if activists around the world that are trying to create, you know, more, you know, more, more liberty and quite frankly, trying to bring down governments, uh, then, you know, may, maybe that's, that's a pathway to consider doing. 
uh, is is to follow kind of the Chromebook model, uh, which I, I, you know, I like. I mean, yes, I understand the the concerns that, well, you know, Google's in total control uh, with Chrome OS. They could be, you know, they could have key loggers in there and, uh, you know, they could possibly be looking at everything you do on your Chromebook. So no matter how much security, because I, I've secured the shit out of my Chromebook, I got to say, um, you know, it'll never be totally secure. Okay, I, I'm open to that. But if we were doing like, uh, you know, we're maybe an idea like Chromium OS, which is totally open source, uh, you know, maybe maybe we could utilize that sort of thing. So if, you know, if this alternative internet's going to be there, it's going to have to be done on the cheap. And perhaps one of the ways, and this is something I want to discuss that I want to end off with on the idea of like, okay, where can we go? What are these alter- alternative internet ideas that we can come up with? The number one for me that I think is worth looking into because the technology is so tried and true would be data packet radio. I am such a huge fan of this, such a huge fan. I know there's, there's a caller, a guy who calls into free talk live often enough Creighton. Uh, he even mentioned that he did a Bitcoin transaction with data packet radio. And I thought that was one of the most exciting things done in the history of technology. Okay. I mean, let's understand this. We're talking about radio, you know, one of our oldest technologies that, you know, of the modern age that we have. And we paid, we, you know, we, we did a monetary transaction with it. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. So that's an area where I think, and, and radio is as decentralized as it, you know, as it gets. Okay. So I think that's an area to definitely look into. Uh, I mean, rate radio is perfect for so many things. It's okay. It's not perfect necessarily for, you know, transmitting, uh, YouTube videos fine, but I don't care. <laughs> you know, that that's not that big of a deal to me, but you could transmit so much stuff. I think that's the area to look into. Okay. That to, to answer all of this, let's start looking into data packet radio networks. This is Brian Sovereign. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, or EFF, fights to protect your rights in the digital world. When a patent troll threatened podcasters, they fought back. EFF has also defended your right to encryption and has sued the NSA to end the government's mass, suspicionless surveillance. There are different ways you can help EFF, from donations to signing petitions to writing your representatives to just spreading the word. Find out more at EFF.org. That's EFF.org. Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, where we talk video games. And sometimes it's what it has to do with Liberty last week. I mean, holy shit, we were talking about how the NSA uh, really just wastes half its day playing video games, which, hey, that's fine. If they're not spying on Americans and they're not killing people, please play video games all day long. I don't I couldn't be happier for you. Uh, You know, I mean, yeah, a person can get mad about their tax dollars getting wasted uh, and, and, you know, you'd have a case there. But then that's the very nature of government largesse is waste. Right. Uh, Anyway, or that's the nature of government, (laughs) let alone government largesse. Um, But this week. Uh, I'm actually, I've got a Bitcoin story about gaming, but before I get into that, I want to bring up something. Boy, I thought this was incredible. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of a band called blind guardian. 
Um, they're, they're kind of a symphonic metal band, you know, in, in the order of, uh, you know, a lot of progressive bands that, you know, they're, they kind of taken it to the next level. They're like Camelot or Nightwish, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of really, really great symphonic metal bands out there. One, definitely one of my favorite types of music. Uh, so epic, you know, and they had on their, their, maybe it was their second to last album. They had a song called, um, uh, this world is sacred or sacred worlds. I think it might've been called. And, you know, I wondered, I, I was listening to it the other day, it came up on my favorites, you know, on Google Play Music, it would, and it was awesome, and just really, really epic, and I was really getting into it while I, I think I was cooking some eggs or something. Uh, I mean, it was quite the sight, because I was really, <laughs> I, I was, you know, fist pumping and dancing in the kitchen. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was like, you know, I wonder if there's a video for that, because the song is so epic, I just gotta know. And come to find out there is a video for it and where the song was premiered and probably where it's got its name from was actually a video game called uh, Sacred 2, which, you know, that, that came out quite a few years ago. That was like in 2008. Uh, I think they have it for like PS3 and, and 360 and and I know it's on Windows. Um, and in the game, you could get to a point where you went to a concert and there's all these, you know, ogres and orcs and whatever, dan- and trolls dancing and all this business, you know, a really, really metal scene going on. It's inside of a castle. And then Blind, Gu- Blind Guardian's there digitally, of course, you know, in, in digital representation, uh, performing the song. And you're like attending this concert. It was so cool. It's awesome. I was like, wow, what a great idea. More games need to do this kind of thing where like where they're putting this content, uh, you know, into, into the game. And, and I think that's great. You're getting an awesome. I mean, how cool is that to like really be playing a game and to actually go attend a concert, you know, and of more or less, at least at the time, exclusive content being performed for the game. I think that's a tremendous market that no one's really taking advantage of um, or they're basing it upon American tastes, which American tastes and music are you could just quite frankly atrocious. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I just, I thought that was really cool. So you, you can check that out. Um, and again, it was for the game sacred Two, uh, fallen angel. And, and it, it was, it was really, really cool. So anyway, this is not so cool. Our main story and our main story comes from wired and it's a gaming company find $1 million for turning customers into a secret Bitcoin army. Oh my, uh, <laughs> A gaming software company has been slapped with a $1 million fine after secretly adding Bitcoin mining software to product updates earlier this year. Esports Entertainment Association, uh, the ESEA, which lets serious Counter-Strike players face each other down in anti-cheat modes, uh, infected about 14,000 of its customers with the code, which ended up mining about 30 Bitcoins over two weeks Last spring, the company blamed a rogue employee who has since been uh, terminated. It's still facing a class action over the matter in California. Uh, what transpired the two weeks, the past two weeks in a case of an employee acting on his own and without authorization to access our community through our company's resources. The ESEA uh, co-founder Craig Levine uh, told Wired. The settlement was announced today by the New Jersey Attorney General, which says that the ESEA will pay $325,000 of the fine up front and will only be hit with the rest of the penalty if it's caught misbehaving over the next decade. Uh, 
In a press release, the attorney general's office called the software a botnet that could monitor customers even when they weren't using the ESEA software. These defendants legally, illegally hijacked thousands of people's personal computers without their knowledge or consent, and in doing so, gained the ability to monitor their activities, mine for virtual currency uh, that had real dollar value, and otherwise invade and damage their computers, the AG's office said. Though they reached a settlement, ESEA and the New Jersey AG disagree over the fact of the case, the facts of the case. The AG's office says that it's the attorney general, says that the, co- the company co-founder Eric Thrumberg and software engineer Sean Hunsack were both involved in the scam. In a statement posted on its website, ESEA said the software was the work of a single engineer, presumably Hunzak, uh, adding that the press release issued by the attorney general about our settlement represents a deep misunderstanding of the facts of the case, the nature of our business and the technology in question. Thurnberg is still with the company. Back in the spring, those 30 bitcoins were worth only a few thousand dollars, but at today's rates, it comes closer to $17,000, actually more like $30,000. This is kind of an older story. The botnet's uh, haul was so good because six months ago, serious gamers like ESEA's customers made excellent soldiers for a botnet army. Gaming machines have powerful graphical processing units that are pretty good at Bitcoin mining. Since the spring, however, the Bitcoin mining game has become a lot harder and miners uh, now use custom designed chips to earn payouts on the Bitcoin network. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, this, this story is from like back in last May. Um, So it's an older story, but I still think it's relevant as for what this, you know, what this is pointing out, because this could be done with other, uh, I think this could be done with other altcoins. Okay. Now it's interesting that it got done in in a gaming context. uh, And I wonder how much, you know, how much this stuff actually occurs anyways. And okay, this is the one case that was found, but you know, cause it's interesting because a lot of the, a lot of games on, on PC out there. Now this isn't a knock saying, you know, don't PC game because this wasn't actually put into the game. It was more putting put into the, uh, you know, the tournament software. This wasn't in the actual game, but I, you know, I got to wonder because some, some of the software, uh, you know, re- like the power that computers have today. Okay. That, you know, really, especially a really great gaming computer, you know, with like quad SLI, uh, or more, um, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, there's not a whole lot that takes advantage of, of that kind of hardware. Yes. There are games like crisis that will, you know, that are ahead of the curve and will take advantage of that sort of thing. But I guess I wonder how often this kind of stuff gets put in. It's just like with CNET. Uh, I don't know if I said this on the show, but boy, if I didn't, I'll say it now. Don't download anything from CNET. Now CNET runs download.com. It's one of the most popular, uh, you know, sites to get software for windows in particular, uh, from, and don't do it, do not do it because they, they will put so much bloatware on your computer just from you wanting to install one piece of software. So I wonder how commonplace this is becoming, uh, you know, how many people are still using because yeah. And you know, and I don't, maybe I should be a little more sure on the science of this. Okay. But yeah, it's, I'm glad that the article pointed out that, look, there's ASIC miners out there now and mining with, you know, mining Bitcoins with CPUs or GPUs is just a waste of time. Uh, but what happens when you say, you know, say you were on steam now, steam has a pretty good code vetting process. So I don't think this would be in there unless steam was behind it itself. Um, but what if they, 
you know, put in a, a botnet that that allowed for for people to to mine, you know, and you had the exposure of Steam where you literally had millions upon millions of computers you were accessing. Could you create a mining pool through that that would actually be significant enough and worth it enough to mine bitcoins with it? Maybe, or if not Bitcoin. How about, a, a you know, an alternative currency? Uh, there's an ASIC coming out for Litecoin, but Litecoin is still very lucrative to mine with GPUs. Uh, you know, I do it myself. And so, I, you know, I got to wonder, is somebody implementing that? Uh, ProtoShares, I mentioned ProtoShares. There was a guy with a guy who made the main ProtoShare client uh, for Windows who he offered a, a client, an optimized mining, because the client, which is the wallet and, and access to the network for ProtoShares, uh, is also the miner for, for, you know, if you want to mine proto shares, you can use that. And at the time he came out with an optimized miner that, you know, that would get you pretty much double, if not quadruple the mining power, uh, you know, of, of the proto share client of the norm of the standard proto share client, which he also designed, which is kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> um, and but the payout was is that okay look yeah if you use this optimized miner it'll get you you know quadruple the amount of proto shares but it's going to send me like it's going to send me a payout for you using it and it's in the code and so it raises the overarching question is how often is this happening you know and and, and obviously you know we expect the FBI and the NSA to do stunts like this not necessarily for bitcoin but certainly for other things uh, but, you know, like you got to wonder, you know, is Americans Army, which is America's Army, which is a game that was actually designed by the U.S. government, by the military. Uh, you know, did they put botnets in there to where is this like how at the NSA and the FBI has their back doors? And because who reads the EULA, right? Who reads the end user license agreement? Nobody does. Not many. <laughs> and who knows in there? It says, you know, we have access to this and that. Uh, it's just like where Facebook, you know, if you use the Facebook Messenger app. In the EULA for the Facebook Messenger app, it says that we can access your microphone, uh, you know, at any time. And now why does the Facebook Messenger app have that? Well, it's, you know, probably for some VoIP services and things like that. But bottom line is, is that they have the capability, you know, Facebook has the capability to listen to everything you're saying at any time they want to turn, you know, turn your turn the microphone on on your phone. So, yeah, so there's a lot of nefarious purposes for this sort of stuff. And it raises an interesting point that Steve Gibson made a couple months back on Security Now, where he said, look, you know, perfect security requires, you know, absolute security on software, on, you know, on, on technology requires absolute knowledge. And he says, and you know what? He says, we're not going to have absolute knowledge unless we're making our own chips person by person. OK, <laughs> making our own chips making our own software, making our, you know, making our own apps, all this business, our own OSs. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it, you have to question the futility of this stuff. You know, what do you do about this where gamers are, you know, like the story with the games is becoming Bitcoin money. I don't know. Not sure what to get for that special person in your life this holiday season? Look no further. Savory Sense Candles has something for you. Savory Sense aims to please with quality products and service. They even accommodate your special requests. Visit SavorySenseCandles.com and be sure to check out the exclusive subscription boxes. That's SavorySenseCandles.com. For 10% off regular orders, use coupon code FTL. 
Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for Website of the Week, where I cover websites that I find useful or interesting, sometimes terrible, sometimes humorous. This is one that uh, is not, it, it's, it's funny, ironically funny, not funny, haha. Uh, but before I get into it, uh, and because it, it's also actually deadly serious, but, um, but before I get into it, I just want to say is that, well, you know, this is kind of the case for open source, and not to say that open source is that big of a deal, because there's things like, there's things like OpenSSL, where if there's nobody to vet the stuff, you, don't, you have no idea how secure it is. Okay, even if it's open source, it doesn't matter. So you don't want to fall into kind of like the open source fallacy, which I'm going to call it. Um, But open source, as far as like what I, you know, what I mentioned with Steve Gibson's challenge that, look, we'd have to make our own chips if we're going to be absolutely secure and 100 percent positive, you know, that that everything we're doing is that encrypted. Um, You know, that's an accurate statement. Uh, and you know, open source is kind of a way, you know, to, to combat that. But it's something to just always keep in mind. You know, it, it really, it's very, very important to, to consider. Maybe I'll talk about that in a future hacker stories uh, or maybe in the one coming up. But anyway, uh, this site that I'm about to tell you is dronesurvivalguide.org. And I, I know you're wondering, what what the hell? Uh, and and it, it <laughs> this is really serious, even though it treats it in a somewhat humorous way, because like the tagline for the site is 21st century bird watching. Uh <laughs> And, you know, I'll read a little bit of it here. Our ancestors could spot natural predators from far by from afar by their silhouettes. Are we equally aware of the predators in the present day? Drones are remote controlled planes that can be used for anything from surveillance and deadly force to rescue operations and scientific research. Most drones are used today by military powers for remote controlled surveillance and attack, and their numbers are growing. So you get the point. Uh, and what it is, it's actually, it, it's a PDF. It's a website that shows you and explains everything and makes available a PDF that is literally what it says. It's, it's just like an old, uh, you know, an old Autobahn book where it shows you, okay, you know, by the silhouettes in the sky, if you look up in the sky, especially in the desert where, you know, perhaps there aren't so many clouds and you can actually see these things coming from quite a distance, um, you know, you can recognize what exactly you're seeing. Uh, so it's being humorous, but at the same time, it's being very, very serious uh, in the fact that, no, you know, look out for this. You know, is this a type of drone that gets commonly used uh, to drop off medical supplies, you know, by by private, by other companies? Or, you know, or is this a drone that's going to come and actually, you know, that may be dropping, that, that could be loaded for bear with missiles? So this is really important information. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm very, very impressed by its very existence. Uh, and it gives you instructions, not just, it doesn't just give you the silhouettes, uh, you know, but it gives you instructions on what you can do about drones, basic safety tips. Uh, I'll read one of them here. One of the techniques for misleading a drone's camera is putting reflective material on the rooftops of houses or cars, uh, glass or mirror, to try to reflect sunlight into the drone's camera, making this poster a useful tool to interfere with the drone sensors Uh, on a a more associative level. The mirrored material reminds us that drone surveillance is ultimately people watching people in a way we are looking at ourselves through a sophisticated mirror. So a lot of philosophy behind this, you know, behind this sort of thing too. Um, And so, so it has a lot of good ideas. And like I say, it's, it's partly tongue in cheek, but at the same time, it's also very, very serious. And I think it brings to light. It makes a, you know, you can donate to them uh, and it brings an incredible, uh, you know, message to them. And what they were talking about, you can actually, you can, uh, you can purchase uh, aluminum paper 
that that you you can purchase like a copy of this drone survival guide. You don't have to just get the PDF, but you can purchase a copy of it on aluminum paper that you can reflect against the drone. And thus, in in itself, you know, it, it, it's almost a shield from it. Uh, so you know, check it out, dronesurvivalguide.org, uh, and it's serious. It really is. I'll be back with more. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories, where I talk about security issues or I talk about some of the real heroes on the planet, uh, that being hackers, black hat, white hat, gray hat. Uh, I consider them them all heroes. Uh, and But let's talk about people this week that aren't heroes at all. And actually, I'm not going to talk about the NSA, and I'm not going to talk about the FBI. Uh, I'm going to talk about an organization that I had the extreme displeasure of being a part of, um, and that is the U.S. Army. Uh, and and this is, you know, feel free to laugh at this because this is so ridiculous. Uh, you know that what, what what happened here. You know, fortunately, this isn't a case where where anybody uh, anybody's privacy it would seem was uh, you know was infringed or that anybody died. But this is just totally totally laughable, and it shows what a sham. Uh, you know, the, the system at large really is. And this is a story from Gizmodo uh, from Ashley Feinberg. And it's a U.S. Army base is running a bunch of illegal Windows 7 copies. Given the United States' intolerance for copyright infringement and the pirates that propagate it, uh, which... You know, I mean, if you don't know about that, <laughs> boy, catch up. Uh, you'd think Uncle Sam would be a little more keen on making sure that his men were playing by the book themselves. As it turns out, a whole mess of computers running unlicensed illegal copies of Windows 7 belong to none other than the U.S. Army itself. <laughs> The situation was brought to light when a soldier stationed in a U.S. Army base in Qatar sent torrent freak photographic proof uh, of the Army's apparently lax licensing policy. So now this is interesting. OK, uh, if you don't know what torrent freak is, torrent freak, they, they kind of like they collect a lot of torrent news. Uh, you know, like they, they were really good at keeping abreast of what was happening with the Pirate Bay over the years. Uh, just a, you know, a really good website. Sometimes admittedly the stories of torn freak, uh, don't have a whole lot of evidence behind them and it's speculation, but in this case, plenty of evidence behind the story. Uh, and this certainly wouldn't be the first time the military found itself in the midst of copyright drama. Just a few weeks ago, the U S had to pay $50 million in a settlement for its use of pirated military logistics software. 
The situation in this case is, admittedly, not quite as severe, with just 18 computers at the Soldiers Education Center running the illegal software. That doesn't necessarily mean this is an isolated incident, though. Even after the soldier told his direct superiors, nothing seems to have changed. Wow. <laughs> you know, when, when, you, when you think about it, okay, uh, well, first I want to say this, okay, it's interesting how many men on the inside seem to be coming out. You know what I mean? Or how many people on the inside seem to be coming out. You have Edward Snowden, who was a guy on the inside with, uh, with the NSA, you know, revealing all the crazy practices that the NSA has been doing and still revealing all of that. Now we've got, you've got people in the military who are saying, Hey, look at this. This is ridiculous. You know, they're coming after us. I mean, this, this, you know, this soldier knew who to contact being torn freak, you know, sent, sent the information right to them because I imagine it's a pretty good bet. You know, maybe the, 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 you know, the soldier torrented stuff because everybody torrents shit. Uh, I mean, like Hollywood actually gauges their popularity of things based upon how many people pirate, uh, you know, what, you know, what they release, um, like game of Thrones is a good, is an example of that or whatever. Um, and so it's interesting that he's like, Hey guys, look at this. <laughs> you won't believe this. We're, you know, we're going after people, you know, not necessarily U S army's going after, you know, torrenters. Um, but you know, governments are certainly shutting these people down. We're going after them and guess what? Uh, we break the rules ourselves, you know, just, it, it's just, it, it, it definitely, I mean, the first thing, the easiest thing to say about the matter is that it just shows that, yeah, they, they play by their own rules and they don't care. Fortunately, some people try to at least hold them to some degree accountable. Of course, what are they getting held accountable for? They're getting held accountable for IP, you know, for intellectual property and intellectual property is nonsense. Um, you know, I mean, that that's that's crazy. But I have to wonder, OK, uh, with this is that Microsoft, admittedly, they've always known that pirated version of windows up and just up until recently, have they made this a real problem to where they've tried to very much act, you know, like, like really actively try and stop pirated versions of windows. But up until the later days of windows XP, uh, they, they just, they knew, and they, they, they kind of turned the blind eye to the fact. Uh, and in fact, that's still part of the reason they give such long beta or not beta testing, why they give such long, um, grace periods for when you have to activate windows, you know, on the order of 30 to 60 to even 90 days at times, uh, they know that that pirated copies of windows are out there and they really, by and large, they don't care. Okay. And they, they turn up, they, they've turned a blind eye to it for, for decades because they know that this is how because the people that are pirating windows generally are your bug testers are your hackers are your guys that really know what makes something you know work and they're going to put these things to the test and so the telemetry that microsoft could get and the information feedback they could get from pirated copies of windows was priceless was absolutely priceless to them so generally they don't care and besides microsoft's up until again up until recently you know, now that they're becoming a, you know, more of a, a products and services company and not so much a software company anymore. Again, that's their stated words. Uh, that's not my speculation. Um, you know, they, they generally let enterprises and the gut and, you know, and, and militaries foot the bill. You know, if the, if, if, if a ton of consumers don't pay for windows, quite frankly, they didn't care. It didn't hurt their bottom line either. Not by a long shot. Okay. Uh, because again, 
enterprises, businesses, you know, that need tech support a lot of the times uh, would, you know, would, would pay for it anyway. They, they, and they had the money, you know, to do it. Uh, so, so that, that didn't matter. So now these are copies of windows seven, but this is interesting in that this is the demographic where I would think that Microsoft would be, would, you know, <laughs> this is not a demographic where they'd be interested in, in like testing the security of things so much, or at least they'd want to be very, very much involved. Uh, I mean, and yes, we, we can make the obligatory jokes of how scary is it that the army is using windows. Uh, that's absolutely terrifying. Of course, this is just an education center. Um, the, the software that gets used elsewhere in the military, I can personally say, uh, is usually, you know, Unix builds and far more secure stuff. Uh, so it's not like, it's not like in, in this case, uh, where, um, as to where like it's been true for nuclear reactors and nuclear power plants have run on windows. Uh, the military, the U S military, anyway, the U S army, uh, generally does not operate off of Microsoft software. Uh, it usually uses, you know, more of a proprietary type stuff. And, and even like Linux is becoming, you know, the, the order of the day, thankfully. Um, and maybe that's what happened. Maybe just the, you know, maybe the uh, maybe the soldiers were just so used to installing Linux and not having to to register anything that they're like, oh, well, we, you know, we won't register it. But the, these guys, I mean, are so, you know, they they didn't even think like like say they didn't care because I, I would assume that's what happened is because the you know, the, the guy that sent the pictures for, you know, this 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 craziness with with uh, not using licensed versions of windows 7 um which you know where's all where are all those defense funds going if they're not going to you know to at least pay for the software uh, <laughs> you know he told you know he told the ceo he said look you know this this is this is a problem you know don't don't, don't you think this is an issue and the ceo didn't do anything about it and they're not even bothering to like hide the fact you know, that like, is there, there's, there's an easy piece of software. There's easy ways to eliminate that watermark because what it is, and you can click the link in the show notes, sovereigntech.com, uh, and you can see where, you know, the, you can see the pictures and there's a watermark that goes at the bottom right of windows seven, where it tells you the build number. And it says this copy of windows is not genuine. They didn't even try to hide that. And that takes a matter of seconds. So, I mean, they just don't care. You know, I mean, that, that, that's the bottom line is these people, they just play by a totally different set of rules than the rest of the world does. And it's disgusting. You know, it's really, really disgusting that that's, that that's true because how many people have had to pay out millions of dollars because of pirated software, at least thousands of dollars. How many, even, even children get prosecuted as adults. You know, there's cases over the past decade where children were, you know, it was up to, very much up to debate where, you know, ch should children be, tried as adults for copyright infringement and, or, you know, for, for, uh, you know, for piracy. Oh man. And yet the U S army, what? And no one's doing anything about it. The guy even said, look, I told the CEO and nobody cared. What a joke. You know, I mean, <laughs> What, what do you even say to it now? I mean, there's no real, okay. You know, again, there's no real lack of security in not having a genuine version of windows. Okay. They're like, like this isn't a security issue, uh, in that sense is like, is the army getting hacked or whatever? Um, which quite frankly, you know, if they're this dumb to like not even hide the watermark, they deserve, <laughs> 
to get hacked. You know, I mean, if, if, if you're this ridiculous, but again, this was an, an, edu- an educational facility, which maybe that what that means as far as educational facility, maybe that was like, uh, you know, a language facility, uh, where they use Rosetta stone software. And that is, you know, that's what how the military teaches. A lot of people is, is using Rosetta stone now. Um, and, you know, maybe so. So it wasn't like a, you know, this, this wasn't a, a big security issue. But again, it just comes down to the fact that and really, I hope this gets pointed out. I hope the story gets really I mean, it's already I think it's it's very sufficiently verified. But I hope this gets used by lawyers in the future where when somebody when there's a case against somebody for, oh, they downloaded this movie or all oh, they downloaded, especially Microsoft's probably going to get harder edged about this stuff as they are a services and products company now uh, where, you know, they're not going to want pirate. They're not going to be so lenient about pr- pirated copies of windows being out there. Uh, if Microsoft starts going after somebody, especially like on a class action suit of some kind, or, you know, or, or some, some really, really huge, you know, corporate, lawsuit i hope they just come right out and you know and say yeah well you're going to sue the u.s army while you're at it or do or will it just show the fact that again like i said there's two sets of rules there's rules for governments and then there's rules for everybody else crazy i mean it's it's laughable go ahead and laugh it's okay it's it's such a joke i'll be back with more this is sovereign tech what does freedom mean Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Would you like to play a game? Game of the Week. It's time for Game of the Week, where I talk about games that maybe got missed, or maybe didn't get a lot of press, or that just deserve a good reinstall, you know, and and you might want to check out. Uh, Because, you know, myself, I'm actually, I'm annoyed by the, really, the, the... the graphics culture, I didn't, I wasn't annoyed by that, but there used to be the idea that, oh man, you know, the game had to ask to have really great graphics or it sucks. That's fortunately dying. Like that's really going away. Like people are very, very open today to alternative, uh, you know, uh, uh, graphics forms. Like people don't mind playing eight bit games anymore, or at least, you know, those games can still be big sellers anyway. Uh, the idea that a game has to be beautiful to be great has to be beautiful as in like, you know, you have to see every like follicle on a person's face, uh, or, you know, or every, every, every freckle or something, you know what I mean? Uh, is really, that's annoying. You know, I like to talk about graphics all day long and I like to talk about hardware all day long, believe me. Uh, but that doesn't, you know, that's not a requirement for a great game. And so that's another reason I like to do Game of the Week. And speaking of a game that actually just got re-released, you know, just just recently, uh, is at least on Android and Windows Phone anyway, it was just recently, uh, iOS had it a couple years ago, is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Uh, Some people argue Sonic the Hedgehog 2 to be uh, particular, to be like the best game of the series ever. Uh, I'm open to that. You know, I, I'm open to that argument that it is. Uh, and actually this, this version of, of Sonic the Hedgehog two really makes for a good showing. Um, because it has, 
you know, what they they kindly built in knuckles. Okay, that was kind of the big deal with Sonic the Hedgehog 2 when it came out is that, oh, now there's, you know, now there's two characters. Uh, you know, now you have you, you, it introduced Tails because before Son- the first Sonic the Hedgehog game uh, didn't didn't, you know, just had Sonic, which was perfectly fine and great. Um, so anyway, th- this this is this was really, really cool. Uh, it did. It also adds on multiplayer. So you've got the you've got a lot of features being built into this. Uh, there's also new levels. I think the hidden place palace zone is in it. I'm sorry, the hidden palace zone. Uh, and you have uh, again, you can just play Knuckles right from the outset, which is really cool because Knuckles version like that was what a lot of people were excited about with Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is that Tails could kind of like hover. He could fly like a helicopter to some degree, and that added a lot of new gameplay elements. Uh, I actually like Knuckles has the ability to sort of glide and fly like Superman, uh, which which made it made it sort of easy to implement because it was just like limiting the physics of what Tails could do. But I like it a lot better. Makes it an interesting challenge. And uh, Knuckles next to Shadow, Knuckles is probably my favorite character in the Sonic the Hedgehog series. Uh, and so that's all built right in, um, and it works great with the MOGA controller. I mean, this is a lot of fun. Again, iOS got this a couple got got this like three years ago, um, but it just came out for for Android and uh, and Windows Phone. Impressively good for Windows Phone for getting a game now. Uh, but I I I love Sonic too. Uh, just just a you know a, a ton of a ton of fun. I love all the Sonic games. I'm a huge Sonic fan. I literally own every single Sonic game uh, on planet Earth, um, and you know, and I've paid for them. <laughs> uh, okay, I take that back. I don't have the Sonic All-Star Racing games. Uh, I didn't quite see the point, you know. It, like, I didn't see where they were adding anything that Mario Kart couldn't do. And there's already such great versions of Mario Kart for PC. I didn't really see the need. Uh, so, anyway, but otherwise, I have, you know, like, I, I love Sonic Colors. I thought Sonic Generations was great. Uh, I do. This is another annoyance that I'll bring up real quick. Is this whole idea, like, people, you know, well like like somehow gamers my age again i'm 32 uh and a lot of them has said yeah sonic is boring now why what makes sonic boring it's still just as intense uh the the pacing of the games are great uh the graphics add for a lot of nice new camera views and all that stuff i've never understood where people complain about that uh you know maybe they're annoyed by the fact that they're not blowing someone's head off okay well that holds no appeal to me. So, you know, maybe that's why I'm into Sonic and a lot of other gamers aren't. But I, I still think the Sonic games are incredibly relevant when they come out. They're not all great. Some of them are duds. I'll, I'll admit to that. Uh, but but Sonic, the, Sonic 2, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is really, really solid. And the version that they released for, for Android and Windows Phone, uh, I am nothing, nothing than, less than impressed by. Uh, really, really great stuff. Anyway, I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. What? What do you mean you don't have to take your clothes off? What a bunch of... Sh- 
Okay, okay, no, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time, but come on, we all want to, don't we? <laughs> I just, who who writes lyrics like that? I can't believe it. Uh, anyway, let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Hey, what are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where I generally I geek out, um, though not always. Sometimes I'll bring up a topic, but usually I'll talk about a movie, a comic book. Uh, you know, it could be anything. It could be a product. It could be whatever. Um, and this week, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to talk about a, a topic uh, that I'm, I'm really, really frustrated by. And it's somewhat of a, of a sequel and response to I did the uh, the inside Bitcoin conference uh, 2013 sucked special. Um, and on there, you know, there was the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, we mentioned about this encounter that Stephanie had with uh, with a camera crew, with an interview crew. And they, you know, they were they wanted to interview Stephanie because she was a woman. That's it. It's the only reason they wanted to interview her. They had no idea who she was. Uh, actually, it looks like these guys don't have a clue about much of anything uh, by my research. But um, they, they, th- th- that's it. They just they wanted to interview her because you know she was a woman, and you know she she was decently annoyed by it, as were some other people. And uh, you know, but but she graciously went ahead and and did the interview. And recently, the video for this interview uh, came out. Uh, you know, and, and it was, it wasn't just Stephanie, Stephanie was at the end of it, but there was a series of women all at the inside Bitcoin conference, 2013 in, in Las Vegas. Uh, and, and it, it's, you know, they, they try, some of them, they interviewed some of them, they, they couldn't interview. And the people that did this, it, it was for, I don't know, I'm, I'm a little confused as to how this actually worked because it looked like it was being hosted and talked about by future money trends. Uh, which futuremoneytrends.com. Now, you know, obviously I understand that the principles that there's no such thing as bad press and that I'm actually giving these guys some degree of press by even talking about it. Uh, but whatever, you know, when, when people, when people are being, well, bottom line, when there's bullshit going down, it needs to be brought to light. It needs to be talked about. Okay. And, uh, now the other thing is that kind of like on the video, it talked about this banker's worst fear and that's a banker's worst fear.com, which looks like it might be a documentary or something. Uh, but it's supportive of Bitcoin and, uh, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing is like, yeah, you know, let, let's adopt Bitcoin so that it, it seems very libertarian anyway, you know, so this isn't like some kind of statist hit piece, but quite frankly, this video that I watched, I considered nothing less than a hit piece. Uh, towards women for for that matter. Uh, now, you, you know, you know, the golden stallion, uh, you know, that I, I, I will 
is I'm using it less, but I will describe myself as a feminist. And this was a feminist nightmare. Oh, <laughs> you know, but it's a nightmare to anybody. I mean, it should be. In fact, a lot of people, this got shared around on, on some Facebook groups and in other places. And everybody pretty instantly recognized, you know, what the hell were these guys, were these interviewers thinking? What were they doing? Because they did their level best. Okay, it's a fact that at Bitcoin conferences and in the Bitcoin world in general, there aren't a lot of women. Okay, it's true. It's, it, it, you know, and, and it's, it's actually, it's a meme. Uh, in some places, it's a very insulting meme because people will pass around this meme where it shows this woman crying, saying, oh my God, my husband died. I don't know what to do with his Bitcoins because I'm too stupid, which is nonsense, of course. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So they go, you know, they're going around at this Bitcoin conference and they're, you know, there's very few women there. It's a fact. And so they're talking to them. They didn't talk to every woman at the Bitcoin conference. I don't know whether or not they tried, uh, but some, some people have looked into this and the woman they did, the women they did talk to, a lot of them said that they were very bullying and very pressuring, uh, you know, with their interviews. And they literally, they, they did these classic tactics where they, I mean, you could just tell they were, they were making women into a joke. They were making these women look stupid or the ones that were intelligent about Bitcoin. The one they showed an older, a woman who was probably in her sixties who knew what she was talking about. Uh, and they're like, well, see, you know, you're, I mean, they, they were definitely trying to play up the stereotype, which of course, you know, Stephanie just crushes, but they were definitely trying to play this, play up the stereotype that, well, if she's not good looking, then she's smart and she will know about Bitcoin. But if she's good looking, she, she's probably just here as a figurehead or as a front for the company, you know, to, to attract people, you know, all the men there to look at it uh, and that they're actually if they're good looking, they're stupid about Bitcoin. If they're old and ugly or old or ugly, uh, they, you know, then, yeah, OK, then they really know stuff about Bitcoin. And that's definitely the message getting portrayed here. And, and please, I'm not saying any of these women were ugly by any stretch of the imagination, you know, or, you know, I'm just saying this is the trope that they were propagating. Either way, the whole thing was just incredibly insulting towards women. It was, it was terrible. Okay. And you, you, you can look it up. I'm not going to, you know, grace them with linking to it in the show notes. If you really want to look it up, look it up if you want to see it, or you can just take the golden stallions word for it. Okay. Because I hope you, you know, I hope you recognize it on sovereign tech. That's exactly what we do. We, we cut right through the crap. Um, and I mean, I mean, this, this was, I mean, just a classic hit piece. And they, they even showed there was points where like this one, this one poor woman, she didn't want to talk to them. Like she was going to try. And then she's like, no, look, I can't do it. And they even showed that, you know, here's this woman being very vulnerable and perhaps even embarrassed because she's not good in front of a camera or something. And they still showed that how insensitive can you get? Well, you can get more insensitive because what you can do is you can name the video. Is there a gender gap in Bitcoin? Yeah, no shit, because you're making videos making fun of women all the time. What the hell do you expect? You know, I don't like to call people assholes a whole lot, but these guys are assholes. And, you, you know, if you follow if you follow Sovereign Tech on Twitter and I recommend you do. OK, because I'm very I'm very involved on Twitter, uh, you know, and, and there's great things happening there. OK, I talked about that earlier in the show. I called them right out on Twitter. I put their handles and I said, I was like, look, I was like, if you see these guys, if you see this, you know, you know, memorize who these people are. And if you see them at conferences, don't do interviews with them because they do hit pieces. 
And that's what they did. It was a joke. It was a sham with, with what they were putting on. It, it, insanity. And I'm going to confront them if I see them at, at other Bitcoin conferences. I am. Because, they're, they're, I mean, you know, I want Bitcoin to succeed for liberty purposes. Okay? Because it is a liberating idea. And it is a liberating technology. Okay? And I want women to be involved in that. And if these asshats are going to be showing up at all these things and just, just smearing people, there's no place, there's, there's, there's no place for that, in my opinion. I, 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 I don't want it. And, and if anything, I'm just going to tell, you know, I'll be there at the conference and I'll just say, look, do not talk to these guys. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So, but, you know, is it just a couple, you know, well, okay, so let's, let's go to their question about, you know, is, is there a a gender gap in Bitcoin? Uh, Oddly enough, interestingly enough, Vice this week did a write-up and it was a pretty good even-handed write-up. I'll give Vice credit for that. It was pretty good. In fact, they even, they even addressed my pet peeve. I'm always annoyed that when people talk about Bitcoin now, they never mention that it was brought into prominence by liberty-minded people. Vice did. Absolutely give the writer, I give her credit for that, for, for admitting that, um, you know, that, that libertarians, hey, we're, you know, we're the core of this, we're the start of this. In fact, I, I wonder if she didn't hear that special that I made. Uh, but anyway, you know, it, it, it brings up all these things, you know, how there's so many men there. And of course, she brings up the point, rightfully so, that, yeah, because this was brought up by libertarian circles, those circles are also very male-based. It's true. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Uh, you know, that, 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 that's what's going on. Um, but again, it's a really long article and you can read it. Okay. It's in the show notes. You can check it out. The, the article from vice. And like I said, it was, it was pretty even handed, uh, you know, and, and it brought up issues of feminism. It brought up the Bitcoin wife who, as far as I know, I've, I've yet to meet her or really talk to her, but as far as I know, she's a very nice person. Granted, she is kind of living up the stereotype of, you know, the, the, the wife who kind of, you know, subsists off of her husband and, uh, you know, go shopping all the time, etc. Uh, but you know, she, she's, she's doing great PR for Bitcoin admittedly. Uh, and you know, she, she's not, I think she's being pretty authentic in and of herself. And that's one of the key tenets of feminism. Feminism isn't saying that you can't be that person. It's just saying you should have the choice and that it should be a choice and that it should not be a societal moray or a societal pressure to be a woman and, you know, be supported by your, your husband or be a stay at home mom or, you know, whatever. It's fine. Um, but anyway, this article, the interesting thing, because again, it's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we're being too hard here. Maybe this is uh, just a, an isolated incident. Oh no, 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 no. Because the vice article linked to this blog post from a voice for men, uh, which is by Andy Thomas, who is AKA, uh, Andy MRA. I think that's his, that's his tweet, his Twitter handle, which MRA means men's rights activist, which is just stupid. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, r- l- 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 let me, let me jump on that real quick. And if I don't get time to read into this, you can, you can read it on, on, in the show notes. Okay. But this whole idea of MRAs being propagated by freedom main radio. Okay. Is one of the most limiting things going on in anybody's life. All right. 
because it's dodgy. It's all MRA does is it just dodges societal problems and it, and, and it allows for, for power structures and mores to continue. It's all MRA does. Okay. That, that, that's all that whole, that whole notion does. All right. And, and my point in that is that because what does everybody do? What does every MRA, what does every guy who thinks, oh, men are so held down? <laughs> what, what do they always bring up? They say, because in court, women will always win and men will not. You know, women will always get the children and men will always have to pay out when, hey, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe the whole marriage idea is bullshit and you shouldn't have gotten married in the first place and you shouldn't have had kids if you weren't, you know, so, you know, so uh, if your partner or yourself weren't so, you know, ready upstairs that you're getting a divorce or whatever. Talk about dodging the issue. It's just like abortion. Okay. It's like, well, you know, that's another thing MRAs are big on is are on abortion. You know, men should have the should have some say in whether or not this woman is going to have this baby. Damn right, you should have some say. You should have some say in the fact you could get fixed, get a vasectomy instead of expecting the woman to have all the responsibility. Fine, you want the responsibility, take it. I did. I have a vasectomy. I'm not going to put that on anybody else. The responsibility of having a child? Are you kidding me? I've been there, done that. No thanks. So stupid. Anyway, I'll get to this blog post by this MRA who pretty much bottoms down to he supports Bitcoin, but he supports it because it's going to bring down the banking elites. And in bringing down the banking elites, women won't have to be in the workforce anymore. They can get their asses back in the kitchen barefoot, baby. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I wonder. Wow. Why aren't there more women in Bitcoin? Anyway, sorry to get riled up. I'll catch you next week. Carpe Luchum. Hope you enjoyed the show. This is Brian Sovereign. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs>